are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. Luke 1, 39-56 At that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Thank you, Erica, for reading for us. I find in this story a sense of wonder that permeates the entire passage. As Mary and Elizabeth meet together, there's a sense of amazement and awe between these two women who are just marveling in what is happening. When I think about moments of wonder in my own life, exactly what we've asked you to do in our table question this morning— You may notice there are certain categories or patterns that come up where this shows up. For starters, it's probably easier to feel wonder when you're a kid. So maybe a a lot of us mention things from early on in our life where your senses have not been dulled yet by adulthood, where you're not so cynical. You haven't been there, done that when you see everything. Wonder hasn't rubbed off. And the other commonality, I think, that might connect some of our stories is when you are out in nature and you are seeing something so grand that no human could ever manufacture. I remember the first time that I saw the ocean. When you're from Minnesota, you know, that's a big deal. And it was on a family road trip as we pulled out onto Cape Cod, Massachusetts. And I remember the car pulling into the parking space there at the beach and seeing for the very first time water as far as the eye could see. So much bigger than any of the sunfishing lakes that I knew from back home. And the waves, you know, weren't caused by the wake of a boat that had gone by, but they're just endlessly rolling in and the sun is gleaming off the ocean and the sand. Today we're, in a sense, I think, pulling up to park on a portion of the Christmas story that creates in us a sense of wonder. 
And I say that even though perhaps you know this story, you've, you've read it before, perhaps you know that Mary went to visit Elizabeth and this exchange took place. I always think that it's, it's a wonderful attribute here at the Y Church is that we're such a mixed bag. And so some of us are, on any given Sunday, familiar with the Bible passage that we have in front of us. And yet some of us are hearing it for the very first time across the tables of this congregation. But if this for you is familiar, or if coming to church has been feeling a bit rote or unspectacular, I want to encourage you this morning, you have an opportunity to recapture the wonder. Take it from these two women that we're going to look at in the story. There is something here about Christmas in Advent as we prepare to be amazed by, and we want to uncover that now as we study His Word. This Advent season, we have been preparing for Christmas by studying exactly this chapter of Scripture. Just one chapter, Luke chapter 1. And now we're at the halfway point. We have two weeks left till Christmas. Actually a little bit under. And yet, may that not be a reason for panic or for a frantic running around. I had to remind myself this morning that the Lord has given me today. That's what you and I have. And he's given us this word. So let's ask for his help. Would you pray with me as we open these pages? Lord, you have ordained this season, this year in our life. And you've ordained this word for today. We ask that you would speak to us now, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit and the riches of your word. Would you prepare our hearts and our minds for your work in us? And would you show us again, or for the very first time, the true wonder of Christmas? We ask now for your help in your name. Amen. Well, week three of Advent, let's remind ourselves where we're at in the story. Last week we had the angel Gabriel announcing the news to young Mary that she would have a son. And not just any son, but the Son of God, the Savior, would be born to Mary. And in that scene, you might remember, the angel also announced to Mary towards the end that her relative, her cousin, Elizabeth, was also expecting. Elizabeth, a much older cousin who, for decades of her life, had not been able to conceive. And the angel says, even Elizabeth is going to have a baby, and it will be a forerunner to the Messiah. And it is for that reason that our passage today begins with Mary in a hurry. Verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. And maybe in your Bible, feel free to underline this or just take note of it or there's a sermon notes part of the bulletin. That word hurry really caught my attention this week. Because of course, Christmas is prime time for hurrying. If there's any time of year where we're prone to this, it's now. Hurry to shop, hurry to decorate, hurry to do a million things in the less than two weeks now before Christmas. We preach against hurrying at Christmas, and yet here's Mary doing what? She's hurrying. Isn't it bad to be in a hurry? Is that what we usually think? Well, apparently not, I would suggest to you. It depends on what you're hurrying for. 
And if we take our cues from Mary in this story, then it looks like there's indeed a good reason, a good kind of hurry. And I see two things, actually, that would be worthy of hurrying in this story. Mary hurries to spend time with a loved one, and then together they hurry to worship. Most of this passage, you'll find, is words of worship. No one here is hurrying to chase a to-do list. Mary doesn't hurry to Judea because of some holiday hustle and bustle. No, she's hurrying after the things of God. Now geographically, as we look at the story, we know that Mary was up north in Nazareth, and now she's hurrying down south to the hill country of Judea, which would have been near Jerusalem. Remember how in the beginning of our Advent series we had Zechariah? who was serving in the temple in the first part of the chapter. So somewhere down there in Judea is where he and Elizabeth lived. We don't have the exact location reported in Scripture, but there's good evidence to believe that they lived in the town of Ein Karem. It is still there today. It's now the location of a hospital, actually. But Jerusalem has grown up so much around this area that it now encompasses Ein Karem. And some of you have lived here long enough to remember how Elk River used to be a pretty small town. And nobody would have ever thought of Elk River as a suburb of the Twin Cities. But things have changed. And that's the story of Ein Karem. It was a beautiful spot, still is a beautiful spot, though now part of the city, in the hills. And it means, Ein Karem translated means, Spring of the Vineyard. And this is the place that Mary hurried to, to visit Elizabeth. It would have been a three to four day journey from Nazareth. Mary, just based on her age, at about 13 years old, there's no way she would have made this trip on her own. We don't have the details, but however she got there, Mary hurried to visit her much older cousin, Elizabeth, who her whole life had not been able to have children. Mary knew there was reason to hurry. And what a contrast now as these two women meet. The one who is 13, not even married yet, supernaturally pregnant, one time in all of history, a virgin birth, and the other woman who is well past childbearing years, married and infertile for decades. The pain of seeing All of those other women have babies and become moms, holding their little ones. And the shame that Elizabeth would have felt in their culture. And yet now, miraculously pregnant, like a Sarah and Abraham, there was indeed a reason for Mary to hurry. And when she arrived, it says she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. Look at verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So you see this three-part chain reaction in the story here. Mary speaks, the baby in Elizabeth leaps, and Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. It's like the fuse of a firework has been lit, and the Holy Spirit rushes in. And if you have eyes to see it, You will notice in Luke chapter 1 that the Holy Spirit keeps showing up, story after story. First week, 
He was promised to fill Zechariah's son. Second week, last week, he is the named means of Mary's conception, the virgin birth. And now week three is here. Elizabeth welcomes Mary and she is filled with the Holy Spirit. It was two Wednesdays ago at high school youth group upstairs in Studio B that we talked about who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. It's an important conversation because the Holy Spirit is kind of like the George Harrison of the Trinity. You know, the fourth beetle, right? The lesser known member of the Trinity. The others, I think, even just by name, relationally make more sense. God the Father, Creator, we can follow that. God the Son, Jesus, we understand that. But who is the Holy Spirit? What does that mean? What does He do? One of the things that he does is to fill someone with the presence of God. And I want you to think about this. That Zechariah had to go to the temple to be near the presence of God. Elizabeth was at home in her kitchen. Where is the Holy Spirit speaking to you this Christmas season? That's a question I like for all of us who are followers of Jesus to be asking. Where's the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Where are you experiencing the manifest presence of God? I hope it's here on Sunday morning, our temple in a sense. But you know, I I hope just as much it's in your kitchen or your car or your classroom. The Holy Spirit is who makes the sanctuary of God mobile. So that you don't just visit God when you attend a church service. But He is with you. He indwells you. He leads you. What does the Bible say? We looked at it with the high school students. He is your comforter, your counselor, your advocate. And I think that would be a great Advent prayer that I'd suggest to you today. Holy Spirit, would you fill me with your presence like you did, Elizabeth? And next week when we come back, next week's passage, you can pray, Holy Spirit, Would you give me a song to sing like you did, Zachariah? If Advent is a season of preparation, which it is, preparing for the birth of our Savior, I can think of no better preparation than what the Holy Spirit can do in you and in me. And some of you are thinking perhaps, well, I'm Lutheran. Or I'm Catholic. I think about a third of the white church is a Catholic background. I'm reserved. I'm right there with you, by the way. Some of you might be thinking, you know, we really don't do much with the Holy Spirit. And I want to ask you if that should be the case. I want to tell you about a Catholic priest who thought a lot of the Holy Spirit. His name was Martin Luther. And he wrote that we as followers of Jesus, should be alert and ready to hear the preaching of the Holy Spirit within. In writing on prayer, he zeroes in on this at the end and he says that when we as believers in Jesus spend time in personal prayer, Luther, a Catholic priest, said we can be suddenly overcome by good and edifying thoughts. And when that happens, then he or she should sit still and listen. He said, the Holy Spirit himself preaches here and any one word of his sermon is better than a thousand of our prayers. 
So don't tell me the Catholic Lutheran thing, the Minnesota thing. How would the Holy Spirit like to prepare you for Christmas? And are you prepared to let him? Luke 1 is full of supernatural encounters with God. And let's be ready to say, yes, Lord, and would you do this with me? In the story, Elizabeth is greeted by Mary. She is filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it says she exclaimed the following words in a loud voice. At our house these days, we are working on our inside quiet voice. Not Elizabeth. The neighbors would have heard this exclamation as she says, Blessed are you, Mary. Mary, you are blessed among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. And then look at the humility in her words and the insight that she has. She says, But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Those are the words of a woman whose life has been shaped by God. To have such humility. And the recognition that she has that this in utero baby who has just entered the room is her Lord and Savior. It is really quite profound, I think, in this story. The shepherds and the wise men are the ones that we see in the nativity scene, bowing before Jesus. But Elizabeth is the first. Don't miss it. She beats them all to it, and she recognizes this is the Christ, the Son of the living God. She says in verse 45, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill His promises to her. And we remember that's exactly what we saw last week. The angel Gabriel shows up and he says, Mary, you're going to have a baby conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. He'll be called the Son of God, for no word from God shall ever fail. And what did Mary say? It's where we finished last week. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be to me as you have said. Thirteen years old. And somehow in the Spirit, three to four days distance away, Elizabeth knew that this is what Mary had said. And now she blesses her for it. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill His promises. I want to ask you this morning, do you realize that there is blessing in believing the Lord? Just in doing that, in having a heart that will believe in His promises, that will trust Him, when faith rises up and it wins over doubt or fear, there is blessing there, it says. God's favor is there. He smiles upon that. And I bet you and I right now in some aspect of our life have an opportunity. I bet you have an opportunity to either believe that the Lord will do what He says or to soft-pedal it. To back down. To relinquish the boldness of your faith. And I want to urge you this morning, like the messenger Gabriel did last week, don't do it. You have this opportunity. Don't go down the road of fear. For no 
word from God will ever fail. Mary received that promise, and now we see Elizabeth attach blessing to it. Applied to this text, I want to suggest the following. That if you could get your own Christmas gift this year, and some of you have done that, haven't you? Perhaps already this year, have you? Anybody bought? Don't show your hands. (laughs) Anybody bought your own Christmas present? All right, some of you want to show your hands, don't you? You've got company here. But I know it happens for one reason or another. You're out there, you buy your own Christmas present. And here's what I want to apply here to this text, that if you could get your own Christmas gift this year, make it this, that you would have a greater trust that God will fulfill His promises. And here's the thing, when that happens in you, you get something else thrown in. That's what Elizabeth is saying. You get the blessing of God. Do any of you have a relative, perhaps a grandma, who stuffs multiple presents into one box? I mean, grandmas are especially good at this. I've seen it across two generations now. They cannot hold themselves accountable to the stated number of gifts. And so they start stuffing multiple packages in the box. You know, it's just like the Mary Poppins bag. You know, they just keep coming. And right here, we have what you might call a twofer. Believing in the promises of God you will get the blessings of God thrown in. And I'm saying, let's put that on our Christmas list. These are the things that Elizabeth is loudly proclaiming. And in the second half of the passage, it's going to be Mary's turn. And you're looking at the number of verses there and you're going, oh boy, I better go get another cup of coffee. We're going to look at it just in brief today in summary. But what I want you to note is the call and response nature of this passage as Mary and Elizabeth meet. You can see here that we have these two faithful women, one a teenager, the other much older, but they come together as a duet to sing the praises of God. And there is great joy in speaking well of the Lord with someone else. How significant would it be when your extended family is gathered around the table, how significant would it be this Christmas that you would speak well of the Lord together? And dads, I want to speak specifically to you, dads and grandpas. You don't have to wait for the Elizabeths and Marys to initiate this. They're the characters in this story. They play a leading role, which is awesome. But as a dad, I want to suggest to you men that it is significant when it starts with you. And so when you're around that table, men, go for it. You don't have to be a Bible expert. You don't have to get all touchy-feely. But just start this round around the table where you would share a few sentences about what you have seen God do. What you find praiseworthy about what he is up to in your life, in your family, and then pass the mic around the table. In this story, it's Elizabeth and Mary, and as the mic passes to Mary, she begins what we've studied before, and that's why we won't go into detail today, a very famous portion of Scripture called the Magnificat. It's like our word magnify, magnificent. And it's called that because the word that this song begins with in the Latin translation of the Bible is Magnificat. 
Magnify the Lord, my soul. Or as it appears in our translation, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now, as I said, we won't go into detail here. But what I do want to do is note that this first verse represents the whole. It encompasses, it encapsulates the whole focus of what Mary sings. This is a worship song. That's what Elizabeth and Mary are doing. And the same humility and depth of insight that we saw in Elizabeth in the first half is now echoed and even expanded in the second half. Mary says, let me just share a couple highlights with you. She says he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Doesn't that sound like Elizabeth, her cousin? She says, the mighty one has done great things for me. His mercy extends to those who fear him. That just means those who bow down and worship before him. He has filled the hungry with good things. Doesn't that sound familiar? We were up here not long ago celebrating Bud's baptism. And these were the words that he selected. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And then how does the song finish? She says, He has remembered to be merciful just as he promised. There is blessing in singing this song. And we come to the last verse of the passage. And Mary, don't miss this, unpacks her bags. Can I show you this last verse? It is not just a narrator's detail. Verse 56. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. At the beginning of the passage, do you remember where we started? You remember what Mary was doing? Mary hurried in verse 39. And now what is she doing here? She stays. So the book ends of the passage. And what did Mary hurry to do? And why does she stay? She hurried for two things. You remember what we said? She hurried to be by the side of a loved one. If you want to hurry for something this Christmas, hurry to do that. And she hurried to worship, which has been the theme of this entire passage. Mary hurried and she stayed. And that, my brothers and sisters, is my prayer for you and I. That we would be quick, if anything, to run to one another, to run to a loved one, and that we would be quick to worship. And when we arrive in that place, that we would unpack our bags, that we would hunker down and stay in that place. Can I pray for us to that end? Oh Lord, we thank you this morning for this beautiful duet, a soprano and alto voice that met in the hill country of Judea to sing your praise. 
And Lord, whatever we think we have to do or navigate the rest of today and this week, I pray, Lord, that it could just take a back seat to what you've called us to hurry to. And Lord, I pray for every person in this sanctuary this morning, including myself, that there would be two priorities that would shape our life. To hurry to love one another and to hurry to your presence. Lord, would you do this? Out of your mercy, would you be mindful of the humble state of your servants here? We ask in Jesus' name, our Savior. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org. 